I'm glad you got that joke. Thank you. It's good to have one person get my jokes. All right. Well, this morning we are going to continue up, uh, continue our series through the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, we're wrapping up this section on the Lord's Prayer that we've been looking at for about four weeks. And this, the Lord's Prayer is this kind of a mini sermon or a mini section within this greater sermon of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon that's all about uh, this inner transformation of heart. It's really Jesus' ethics saying that life is not about just the outward actions or what you can look like or what you look like, how you impress people with what we see from the outside. Life is about this inner transformation being changed by God. And this, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus inserts that kind of in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And it, it almost seems like he said, hey, let's take a side note and take a few weeks on prayer. But he doesn't. It's, it's intentionally located in the middle of this. Because even in the Lord's Prayer, this model that Jesus gives us is about being people who are transformed. People who are being oriented under the true nature of God. And so Jesus kind of works with us with that. In fact, today you see this. The big idea of the Lord's Prayer is really it helps reorient us under the nature of God. And we've talked about the bigger our perspective is of God the smaller our perceptions are of our issues. And really, when you look at the location of this prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, you find that it really is this one continuous thought about let's get our lives under proper perspective of who God is. It's in the location of the prayer when Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites who pray. Now, hypocrite in Greek was actually the word used for actor as well. It meant to be an actor. In fact, the actors in Greek culture would use masks to uh, convey their emotions. So they would have a mask with a big smiley face when they were a happy character and a mask with a sad, crying face when they were sad. And Jesus uses this imagery to say, when you pray, don't be an actor. Don't put on that mask and say, hey, God, look how spiritual I am today. God, aren't you impressed? Look at my life. When inside, Jesus says, you know what's really there. So don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be an actor when you come to God in prayer. And he said, don't even be an actor in front of others as if you can impress God with who you are. And then he says, he compares that and says, and also don't be like the Gentiles. Now, this is just a a word that means those who are not followers of God in the time of Christ. Some translations say pagan. He says, don't be like the pagans through endless repetition, try to get God to do what they want. See, please understand when we say pagan in the time of Christ, We're not talking about people who are not religious. In fact, they were very, very religious. These are people who had many gods. They had a god for everything. They had a god for the harvest, a god of the moon, the god of the the earth. They had gods for fertility, gods for success, gods for war, gods for all of these things. And the idea of pagans is that they would pray and pray and pray, trying to get the gods to do what they wanted. In fact, they believed if you said the right amount of words in the right order, there was like an incantation the gods to then obey you that was what it was about in fact jesus uses a word almost mocking this it's a greek word batalagio and it's an onomatopoeia so those of you who remember seventh grade english it's a word that sounds like it is it's a word that basically means babble and you can see jesus the writers here as they translate he uses this word that's like batalagio don't be like the batalagio you're just kind of babbling trying to get god to be impressed and to God to do what you want him to do. So Jesus says, no, the Lord's prayer is something different. When we pray, we want to understand the nature of God. 
There's a Jewish theologian. There's a quote here for you. Uh, Abraham Heschel. He says this about prayer. He says, A supreme barrier most of us face during prayer is not the words or your liturgy, but rather the way you understand the nature of God. And really, that's what the Lord's Prayer is. It's not a formula. It's not the words or liturgy, but it's getting us to understand the true nature of God. So today, as we wrap up the Lord's Prayer, we will focus just on the last section, but we're going to kind of overview all of it. I told Dale, he's out of town this week, and I told him I'm going to cover what he missed. So uh, pray with me before we continue on. God, we thank you so much for this morning. I thank you that, though, Lord, we often come just with hearts that aren't right before you, and often we come with so many things on our mind. Often, Lord, our perspective of you is skewed. Somehow you still love us. You still pursue us. This morning, God, we want to orient our lives around who you really are. So we pray that you'd move in this place, move in our hearts now. In your name, amen. Now, one of the things about prayer that I love is that Jesus kind of gives us his model, right? He says, come to God this is God our Father. And I was thinking, what is the most pure person to go uh, just with their thoughts and actions? I have a five-year-old at home. And five-year-olds are kind of, they're great because they tell you exactly what they see. Right? Does anyone agree? Does anyone have a five-year-old that you had to kind of quiet them down in public because they're just being honest? And, uh, and, and so they have a great perception and they'll say it. And they don't, they're not trying to hide anything because they're five. I went to visit some of my family in Minnesota a few uh, weeks ago. And right before he turned five, I visited one of my aunts who uh, is aging gracefully. She really is, but you know, she has a head of, uh, of white hair. And my son meets her for the first time and he sees her and he puts his hands on her face and says, you have gotten old. <laughs> to which she said, yes, you're right. I really have. I just love that perspective that says like, he's not thinking it's a bad thing. He's just, you've gotten old. <laughs> it's just this pure honesty from inside. I went searching. We collected some uh, prayers from uh, children that Sunday school teachers and stuff have collected. So I want to show you some of the prayers and the way children often pray. Here's a few for you. We have them up on the screen. Dear God, do animals use you or is there somebody else for them? It's a great question. Here's another one. On Halloween, I'm going to wear a devil's costume. Is that okay with you? <laughs> Love it. Next one. Is it true that my father won't get into heaven if he uses bowling words in the house? <laughs> I hope not. Okay, next one. Please send me a pony. I never asked for anything before. You can look it up. <laughs> Dear God, I wish there was no such thing as sin. I wish there was no such thing as war. Oh, man, a thoughtful one, right? Oh, that's great. Next. Dear God, are you really invisible or is that just a trick? <laughs> is Reverend Ko a friend of yours or do you just know him through business? <laughs> I think God sometimes asks that sometimes about us in ministry, right? Do I just know you through business? Okay, next. I didn't think purple went with orange until I saw the sunset you made on TV. That was cool. That's a good one. And I love this. If you watch in church on Sunday, I'll show you my new shoes. <laughs> uh, yes. All right. And I lo- here's the last one. Look at this. Dear God, I don't ever feel alone since I found out about you. I think that is the Lord's Prayer right there, isn't it? Just this pureness. Coming before God and saying, God, who you are. You know what? I just don't feel alone, alone anymore. I get it. And Jesus gives us this model 
and starts off and he says, our father in heaven. Now, I want you to see something. This is a very Hebraic poem. This is very typical of Jewish culture. If you notice, there's kind of a repetition in it, right? There's three statements made about God, three proclamations, and there's three petitions. And if you notice this, this is very typical of Jewish culture that they often go hand in hand. You have the one, two, three things about God and then one, two, three responses of our heart. And so today um, we're going to quickly break down the first two and focus on the last one. But I want you to see what it is. So he starts off and says, our father in heaven. Now stop right there. That's our first proclamation. The first proclamation orients us under the idea that God is our father in heaven. And as our father, we recognize that he is good. Now, some of us have had the privilege of having good fathers here on earth. But our heavenly father is so much better than any father on earth. He's good. He understands what we need. Now, being a good father, and my desire in my life is to be a good father to my three boys. But that doesn't always mean that they think my decisions are good. You understand that? When we come to God as a father, that doesn't mean that anything that makes your life safe, comfortable, convenient, easy, that doesn't mean that God, being God the father, being good, that your life has to be the way you think it needs to be. See, my kids think if I'm a good father that donuts and soda is a good breakfast. That doesn't make me a good father because they think that makes it easy. They think they can stay up anytime they want and do whatever they want. A good father would let them do that because that's what they want. That's not a good father. And often we come to God and say, God the Father, but we think that if we're not getting life the way we think we need it, convenient, safe, comfortable, that then maybe he's not good. But Jesus says, no, understand that our Father in heaven is good. Understand your position as a child. That's the first thing we have to understand in prayer. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says this. We have it on screen for you. It says, for all who have been led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. You have not received the spirit of slavery leading you to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as children by which we cry out, Abba, Father. In other words, your identity is as a child of God. You can go to God knowing that he is so good because he is your loving father. He's our father in heaven. He holds all things in his hands. When we approach God, approach with the perspective that he is good. Now, I believe that right here in my head. I believe God's good. But I struggle with that. I struggle with understanding that God's a good father when I look around and see that children can get sick and they can die. I struggle believing that God is good when I look around and there's people that that we pray for, for healing time and again, and they leave us. And I struggle believing that God is good when when you think of all the disease and sickness and hurt and and pain in the world. I, I struggle with that. I mean, I believe it in my head. I do. But I don't always believe it here. But when we come to God and say, God, our Father, you're good. It's something that should change the way we live our lives, the way we present ourselves to him. Look at the first petition. We're going to skip a couple there. It says, our Father in heaven, look at the first petition. Give us this day our daily bread. When we recognize that God's a Father who holds all things in our hands, we can confidently say, God, we know you provide what we need. But what you need isn't always what you think you need. Remember that. Recently, I've really been struggling. We sold our house in Mission Viejo about a month ago. We sold it right away on the first day. And we're like, God, you're so good. You took care of us. Look at this. How amazing. And within three weeks 
after we sold ours, the price had gone up about almost 10%. And I look back at that, and now we're renting down here, and we have this little less money than we thought, and I'm looking at that, and it's been a struggle for me. I'm like, God, I know, okay, you hold all things in your hands. Yes, you take care of the sparrow, yeah, yeah, yada, yada, yada. But no, 10%. (laughs) And it was really just this week that I was reading through an old journal. And a few years ago, we went through some from struggles at a church I was working at. And, and it was nice. It was someone wrote to me and said, I'm impressed by the fact that you have faith, that you're not fighting, you're just allowing God to be God, that you're trusting that he is good. And I read that and I went, oh, yeah. And God went, you think I'm still God? And it's like, yeah, but later. I'm sorry. And it was so freeing to say, God, okay, you know what? 10% whatever. In your hands, Do I believe you're good? Do I have faith to trust that today? It was so freeing for me to go like, yeah, you are good, Father. You do provide my daily needs. It's not easy, though. I don't like this all the time. That's what it means when we present ourselves, God, the Father. Look at the next one. Our Father in heaven, so give us this day our daily bread. Look at the next one. It says this. Holy is your name. The second proclamation. Holy is your name. God, your name is so high and lifted up. You're so much other than anything we could attain. God, your name is so good. And when we say name, remember Dale taught us a few weeks ago, it means reputation. It's not just, oh, your name. It's, it's your whole character, who you are. God, you are so much more than we could ever attain in our lives. It's this posture of reverence that says, God, even on my best, most Jesus day, I still don't measure up to your goodness. Even when I am, everyone at church is impressed with my spiritual life. Even that, God, you are so much even better than. You are so high and lifted up. Holy is your name. Look at the response. Forgive us, Jesus, as we forgive others. In other words, when we have this idea that says, God, my, my best spiritual behavior doesn't reach who you are, our only response is, so God, we are in need of forgiveness. Some of you this morning need to come to terms with even you need forgiveness. Some of you need to come to terms with even in your most pure spiritual state that before our holy God, it's our only response is, God, you are good, therefore forgive me. I love one of the best prayers in scripture. Jesus, someone was uh, beating his prayer, uh, beating his chest and saying, God, Father, forgive me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that person is justified. See, when we truly understand who God is, our only response is, you are good. And my best efforts don't measure up. Now, often we say, we, we want to remind you, that doesn't mean that we don't try to live for Christ. Even though your best efforts will never make you Perfect in his sight. That doesn't mean we give up. But the difference is why we live for Christ. The difference is why we are trying to live holy lives. We are because he already is. We are trying to do what's right because of what God has already done in you. I use this example. A friend of mine used this great example. He says, when I became a husband, I I was a single guy before I was a husband. And in a moment... In a moment, the pastor said, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And all of a sudden, I became a husband. 
Now, ladies, I could probably get an amen on this. How many single men know what it takes to be a husband? <laughs> See, when you're a single guy, you wake up in the morning and you look at your bed and the, the blankets are peeled back because you just got out of bed. You look at that and you think, that's, that's exactly how I'm going to leave it because tonight it, I, all I have to do is go like this. <laughs> It's already, I already got it made. No one needs to see the bed. So a man says, There's not, why would I make my bed? I'm just going to mess it up again. It doesn't make sense to our efficient minds. Yeah, there's some newlyweds going like, I told you. Okay. <laughs> but see, it doesn't take long for us men to realize that that's not what a husband does. A husband gets up and looks at that and says, oh, oh yeah, no, I want to make it just right. I'm going to make sure the sheets, there's no wrinkles. I'm going to pick up all these pillows off the floor. I don't know why you have pillows if you put them on the floor at night. And I'm going to put them on the bed and I'm going to make sure they're the right order because if they're not, the bed's not made. I know. (laughs) Because that's what a husband does. Now, when I do that, does that make me a husband? No. I'm already a husband. I'm already a husband. If I don't do that, I'm still a husband. I'm in trouble, but I'm still a husband. (laughs) I do that because of what's already true of me. You see the difference? I don't do that. And if the days I don't do it, my wife says, you're not my husband today. I do that because I already am a husband. We live for Christ, not so that we can be children of God. We live for Christ because we already are. It's a very big difference, but it doesn't seem that way. Live what's already true of you. So when we come before God and say, holy is your name, we know that even our best efforts are not going to make us holy as he is holy. But yet we still want to live for him. We still want to respond to God with a heart of just praise and reverence. But our only position is, God, we come to you because we know that we can never measure up. And we're so grateful, God, that even though we can never measure up, even though you are holy, you forgive. You forgive us. Husbands, feel free to try that on your wives sometimes. I know I'll never measure up, but I know you'll forgive, right? <laughs> to which they'll say, yes, now put the pillows where they belong. All right. <laughs> the next one. This we're going to focus a little more on. The third proclamation, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a proclamation that says, God, you are king in heaven, but we, we proclaim that you are also king on earth. I talked about this a few weeks ago. When you hear the kingdom of God and this language about the kingdom in the, in the Bible, this is not just some future destination that happens when we die. We're not just talking about the kingdom of heaven being our goal in life is somehow to scrape through and at the end of it all we get this reward called heaven. That's a great thing and it's true. We will spend eternity with Jesus forever in paradise. But the kingdom of heaven's picture in scripture is never about something that is only what is coming. The kingdom of heaven is also now. In scripture, in very Hebraic speaking, which Jesus was a Hebrew, when they teach their idea of the kingdom was it is now and it is yet to come. The kingdom of heaven, and that's why followers of Christ join with the kingdom. We are to show the world a future taste of what the kingdom looks like when it's perfected. So when Jesus says, teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, he's saying this is now. God, let your kingdom be made known now in our lives. 
See, the idea of the kingdom is the idea of a group of people who's God's reign over their lives. It's God's reign over the lives of people who enthrone Jesus as king. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we are saying in our lives every day, God, we proclaim that you are king. We proclaim that, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life, not anyone else. See, at the time of Jesus, this kind of language was very, very subversive. This prayer is a a prayer almost of rebellion, according to the time in which Jesus lived. See, the Roman emperor was on his throne, and, and, and over all this region, the Roman Empire at the time was the strongest empire in the world. And you were to pay allegiance to Caesar alone. Now, you could have your gods, you could have your deities, as long as they didn't interfere with your supreme deity, and that was Caesar. Caesar, in fact, elevated himself to be called Lord and King. The more you understand Caesar, by the way, you'll read the writings of Paul and see, like, Paul is going to get himself killed, (laughs) which he did. Because he took the language of Caesar's and said, oh, you're Lord and King? No, no, no. Jesus is Lord and King. He took the language right out of what the Caesar said, you will call me. And he said, no, guess who my king is? It's Jesus. And his life was on the line. Now, we don't have Caesar today. We don't have anyone telling us that you need to proclaim someone else king. You have the right to proclaim Jesus as your king. But how many of us really do that all the time? How many of us have our own kings and kingdoms? I know I do. My king and my kingdom is me. My guess is that many of you are competing because you have the same person and it's you. (laughs) You see, often when I say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, as long as it's also mine. (laughs) My will. Lord, it would be great if your will would just match up with mine because then then we have a good thing. God, your kingdom come as long as I still have a safe, comfortable, easy life. Then I want your kingdom. But look at the response. If we look at these petitions and responses, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now look at the last petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, how does that relate? This idea, we we need to kind of understand this in the original language. First of all, the Greek word here that the writers use for us for temptation isn't temptation just for like i'm tempted to sin because we know that god isn't going to lead us into any sin temptation and james it tells us that god cannot be tempted by evil nor will he tempt you god is not sometimes we kind of think like god's going to put certain things in front of us to see like let's see if they bite a loving god who's holy is going to put sin in front of us to see if we go for it i don't think so he doesn't want that we want the consequence of sin in our lives I want it a lot more than God wants it for me. I guarantee you that. Because it's a lot better for me than it is for him. (laughs) So the temptation, this word is actually in the Greek word, parasmos. And it means this. It means to learn the nature or character of something by putting it through a test. So when this word is used, it means to learn the true nature and character of something when it's put through a test. We see the word used several times uh, throughout Scripture in the New Testament. One of them here in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says this, Test yourself, parasmos, yourself, to see if you are of the faith. Examine yourself. Don't you recognize this about you, that, you're, that Christ Jesus is in you? Another one in James chapter 1, 
So it says, consider it pure joy, brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Going through these tests is what, uh, what helps us understand the true nature and character, who we are. So when Jesus says, lead us not into temptation or lead us not into these tests, we have to understand he's not saying keep us from these things. These things are not bad. If we really understand it in the Hebrew and the Aramaic, it would say something like, God, when we are tempted or when we are tested, help us to not sin. Help us to stand through these tests. Give us the strength to make it. Because God, ultimately our desire is that we declare that you are king. Ultimately, God, our heart is that you are king on your throne and not me. And when I say, God, you are king, I need your help to deliver me from me. I need you, God, to help me make it through. Because left to myself, Lord, left to myself to face these tests, I often just want what I want. And that phrase goes with the other one, deliver and but delivers from evil. Again, this word evil, it could mean the evil one himself. It could mean Satan, but it also could just mean this general state of wickedness in our hearts. It could just mean this idea that in our lives, God, we often left to ourselves, we want what we want. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, is talking to a group of people who said they've done all these amazing things for the kingdom of God. They said, Jesus, look at we prophesied in your name. We perform miracles in your name. They said, we did these things for your kingdom. And Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of wickedness, because I never knew you. What? Hold on, hold on, God. They did things for you. They said it. And he said, no, 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 no. There was something wicked in their hearts. See, when it refers to wickedness, often it's that inner state of who we are. When we're left to ourselves, this wickedness is not always just some big bad devil with horns that you have to ask God if you can wear that costume for Halloween. (laughs) It's not just that idea of evil. But Jesus says it's when your kingdom interferes with mine. When you say, God, I perform miracles in your name and he's looking at him saying, no, you did it in your name. See, some of us can be very spiritual and do some really good things, but ultimately in the end of the In the end, we're doing it for us. We're doing it because it's maybe some sort of way of justifying who we are in the eyes of God. Maybe there's something in you that thinks, if I could just do a couple more good things, that God's going to be impressed. Or maybe you do it because you look around and say, this really makes me feel good. Maybe it impresses people at church and nowhere else in your life do you have anyone who's impressed. So you think, I can do something for the kingdom of God, but ultimately, you're doing it for your kingdom. And Jesus teaches us and says, God, deliver us from the evil, from evil. And it's often that evil that's within us. Psalm chapter 141 in Psalms. Here's a prayer of David. I love this. He says this in verse 2. May my prayer be counted as incense before you, God. The lifting of my hands is the evening offering. Set a guard, O God, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And listen to this right here. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. In other words, you could understand this in Hebrew. Lead me not into evil. Help me, God, to not go that way. To practice the deeds of wickedness with men who do iniquity. Don't let me eat of their delicacies. 
God, anything that interferes with your kingdom, deliver me from that. Help me, Lord, to declare your kingship in my life today, the way I live. What we're going to do here as we kind of get to the end of our our series through the sermon, uh, I mean, through the Lord's Prayer, is I want us to take some time to really examine some of these proclamations and some of these petitions. I want to leave some space here at the end of the service for us to maybe examine our, our hearts and maybe come with a prayer before God that says, God, deliver me from me. God, forgive me for the times when I go after what I want. And when I face these tests, God, help me to not give in to me. See, we don't have time, but there's this uh, a parallel in Scripture between Jesus faced a parasmos, the same word, a test, in Mark chapter 4. And the test that he faced, he was presented with three requests. It, it was for his own physical pleasure, the first one. Have some food, Jesus, you're hungry. The other one was for his personal gain, something that he could gain. It, was, uh, it said God will protect you and give you physical uh, protection and strength. And the, the third one was for his personal glory. By the way, those are the exact same three things that Adam and Eve faced. You will not die. Oh, you can eat anything you want. And the last personal glory promise was you could be like God. Guess who failed the test? Guess who said, hmm, those sound pretty good. I know I'm in your kingdom right now, God, which is called paradise. I know I have a perfect relationship with you. I know my wife and I get to hang out all day without any clothes on. But still, maybe there's something better. Are you serious? You have perfect intimacy with God, perfect intimacy with each other. And you say, yeah, maybe there's something more. Because when presented with the option in our humanity... We think maybe there's even something even better. When I sell my house on the first day in a market, that's kind of weird. And God blesses my family in a way and says, you have equity. You've had anything you ever needed. I still think, well, maybe it could have been a little better. Yeah, that was great, God. The first day I was thanking you, but then I saw it could have been better. And the question Jesus gives to me is, oh, wait, 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 are you king or am I? I forget. And I say, well, I am, but I want you to be. Just don't interfere. Yeah, we do it all the time. So when we end our time here, I'm going to ask the band actually to come on up. And we're going to have a few songs that actually are going to proclaim who God is. And at the same time, I want us to work through these responses in our own hearts. We're going to do something a little different here, too. We have an area over off to the side, your right, over here, where we have a cross set up, a little area. There's nothing magical or spiritual about this cross. But we use it as just a reminder and a symbol of what happened on the cross of Christ. When Jesus confirmed that he was king of this world and not even the ways of the world will ever stand up. But what we're going to do is, is we're going to open up some space over here and say, if you want prayer, maybe you just want to get away from the crowd and sit by the cross and kneel by the cross and pray alone. 
If you want someone to pray with you, there's going to be a couple people go over to pray with you. And by the way, the people who are going over to pray with you are not um, the super spiritual people who pass the test. (laughs) They're people who love you, who come with their own baggage, their own struggle with who God is. They're very much like you. You're probably better than them. (laughs) So I don't want you to think, well, I don't want to go over there and find a super spiritual person to pray for me. No, no, no. If you need someone to pray with you, go ahead. We want to open up that space. And now some of you in here too are saying, well, I would love some prayer or maybe God just work on your heart and you just know you need to respond somehow. But you think, ah, if I go over there, everyone is going to watch me. Well, you have a choice, really. If you feel like God's moving you to get up and go pray and you say, yeah, but I'm not sure. Your choice is, are you king or is God? I have a confession. I love worship. I love music. I love to raise my hands when I praise God. But I hate it too. And I'll tell you why this matters. Because when I feel moved to raise my hands, which there's nothing more holy. Raise your hands doesn't make you a better worshiper than someone who sits and looks like this. It doesn't. If God's moving, he's moving. But I do it because that's my way of saying, okay, God, you win. And every time I raise my hands, I've done it for many, many years, I have a moment of embarrassment. And it's so stupid because I'm paid to not be embarrassed for God. (laughs) But every time I'm like, okay. And it's so freeing to say, am I king or are you God? And I raise my hands because I'm just saying, all right, you win. That's why. Some of you this morning might need to get up and go and just kneel at the cross. Some of you need to go and say, I need someone to pray for me because you need to this morning say, I give up. You win, God. You win. Is it okay if we want to be a community of people who say Jesus wins and his kingdom come? Let his will be done. Is that good with anyone else other than me? All right, thanks. Yeah. Let's just be, I'm okay with being known for that. I'm okay with people showing up and saying, you know, people at Seacoast, I think they kind of really are serious about this Jesus guy. Yeah, we are. We're so serious that we're not serious about our own kingdom anymore. So as we respond and the music starts to play here, I want us to really just focus here. (laughs) Oh, they're waiting. They're like, is that our cue? (laughs) Sorry, I messed up the band. As we respond... I really want us to really say, God, your kingdom come. This is who you are. This is who we are not. We give this to you. So pray with me. King Jesus, you're our Father in heaven. You're so much more holy than we are. God, our best efforts don't measure up. God, our lives are filled with doubt. We doubt your goodness. We doubt that you're in control sometimes. God, I confess that so often I want to be king. I love the idea of you being king, but my kingdom sometimes just seems so much better. And I know it's not. And so I confess, God, that there are times when I take that kingdom and I anoint myself king, as Adam and Eve did. And God, I ask your forgiveness, and I pray that in this place right now, Jesus, that we'd be a community of people that lay down our lives before you and who declare you king, who declare that you are good. 
And God, for those of us in this room, anyone who maybe for the first time is saying, I give up being the king of my life. God, I pray that you would just move in their heart and their life. I pray that anyone who's coming broken and just says, I just need to kneel before you, God, that you would just move in this place.